That's right, it's time once again for Wrestling With Theology. I am Pastor Doug Minton, here with episode number 75 as we dig back into the Apostolic Fathers. Today we're taking a big chunk, but we're going to finish the epistle of the Roman Presbyters to the church in Corinth, commonly known as First Clement. We're going to look at paragraphs 55 to 65. This is the Roman Presbyter's final push to get the headstrong and arrogant party to give up their positions of power that they have lorded over the congregation and bring back those presbyters that they've deposed. Picking up in chapter 57 for a moment. Therefore, you founders of the sedition, Submit yourselves to the presbyters and receive chastisement for repentance, bending the knees of your heart. Learn to submit, laying aside the arrogance and proud stubbornness of your tongues. For it is better for you to be small in Christ's flock and to be found having reckoned than having an abundance of honor to be cast out of his hope. We'll see a little more about that in a few minutes. But this is the push for the last roughly dozen chapters. Of this epistle. So we jump back to chapter 55. And in order that we may bring forward examples of the nations, many kings and rulers, when some time of pestilence comes upon them, being taught that they might deliver themselves over to death, so that they might deliver their fellow citizens by their own blood. Many have gone out from their own cities, so that they may not be seditious anymore. We know many among us have handed themselves over to bonds so that others might ransom them. Many have handed themselves over into slavery, and receiving their honor they have fed others. Many women who have been made able by God's grace have performed many manly deeds. Blessed Judith, in the complete shutting of the city, sought from the elders to suffer her to go out into the destroyer's camp. Therefore she handed herself over to danger and went out with the love of the fathers and the people who were completely shut up. And the Lord delivered Holofernes into a woman's hand. Also, no less perfect according to faith, Esther cast herself into danger, so that the people of Israel might be delivered when they were about to be destroyed. For through her fasting and humiliation she was deemed worthy. By the humility of her soul, he delivered the people whom she entreated. The Roman presbyters shift their focus from the scriptural accounts of God's deliverance in and among his own people, Israel, to his deliverance of Israel from the Gentiles. They specifically focus on two of the women who have performed many manly deeds. They begin with Judith from the Apocrypha. Judith's story is a religious romance. In this epic Christian romance, the heroine has no lustful intentions. She simply desires to deliver her people from oppression. Chapters 8 through 13 of the book named for her tell the story of her leaving Bethulia and walking into the Assyrian camp. She seduces Holofernes, the Assyrian general, with her holiness and beauty. In his lustful attempts to forcibly make her his concubine, he becomes drunk and passes out. Judith, left alone by the soldiers in the tent with him, beheads him. She retreats back to Bethulia to present her trophy to the fathers and elders who were too afraid to allow God to fight through them. Around the same time that Judith is set, Queen Esther faces her own emotionally charged dilemma. Does she continue to remain quiet about her own heritage? Chapter 2, verse 10. Or does she announce her Israelite heritage and suffer alongside her people from wicked Hamath's plot? 
After fasting and humbling herself before her husband and king, she is granted the privilege of exercising dominion over her enemy's household. Chapter 8, verse 7. What other Israelites could not do, Esther was able because God had placed her in the kingdom as queen for this very purpose. Chapter 4, verse 14. Other scriptural stories of women performing manly deeds could also be told, especially the stories of Deborah and Jael. The only female judge, Deborah, was beseeched by Barak to lead the Israelites into battle because he was unwilling to go into battle alone. Deborah prophesied that the battle will be won, but the honor for the battle will not go to Barak, but to a woman, Judges 4, verses 8 and 9. As Sisera, the commander of the Canaanite army, fled, he sought refuge in Jael's tent because there was peace between her husband and his king. As he lay in her tent, resting from the wounds and the fear of battle, Jael drives a tent peg through his temples. Judges 4, verses 17-22 All of these passages are examples of God using what the world considers weak, as females are often considered the weaker gender, to shame the strong as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. Now we move into chapter 56. Therefore, let us also make petitions concerning anyone who has sinned, that mildness and humility might be given to them, so that they might not yield to us, but to God's will. For thus it will be fruitful to them, and will perfect the remembrance before God and the saints with compassion. Let us receive chastisement, beloved, upon which no one is bent. The admonition which we have given to others is good and goes beyond profitable, for it joins us to God's will. For thus says the Holy Word, The Lord has indeed chastised me, but to death he has not handed me over. For whom the Lord loves, he chastises, and he scourges every son whom he receives. For the righteous, it is said, will chastise me in mercy and will reprove me, but let not the mercy of sinners anoint my head. And again it says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord reproves, and does not refuse the Almighty's admonition. For he makes pain, and again he restores. He smites, and his hands heal. Six times he will rescue you from afflictions, but in the seventh he will not forgive your evil. In famine he will deliver you out of death, and in war he will release you from the arm of the sword. And from the tongue scourge he will deliver you, and you will not fear when evils approach. You will deride being unrighteous and lawless, and you will never be afraid of the wild beast. For the wild beast being hunted will be at peace with you. Then you will know because your house will have peace, but the abode of your tabernacle will never be sinful. But you will know because many are your offspring and your children as the herbage of the field. And you will come in the grave as corn being numbered according to the harvest season, or as the heap of the threshing floor according to the time it was gathered together. See, beloved, how much protection there is for those who are chastised by the Master. For the Father is good who chastises so that we might receive mercy through his holy chastisement. God chastises his children who sin against him. Psalm 141, verse 5. His chastisement is good for those who believe. They receive the chastisement as they would receive discipline from their earthly father. Chastisement and discipline are for reproof and instruction. God chastises everyone because he loves them, Proverbs 3.12 and Hebrews 12.6. This reproof is not unto death, Psalm 118.18, but it is severe at times. Such was Job's chastisement. While Job was not being directly chastised for a sin he committed, 
God allowed the tortures to prove Job's character. Eliphaz points this out by saying, He wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Job 5.18 God's chastisement is not the end. It is the means to the end. The end is repentance and grace. Job receives double what he lost when God's grace was shown to him. Chapter 42, verse 10. Now we move into what I quoted earlier. Chapter 57. Therefore, you founders of the sedition, submit yourselves to the presbyters and receive chastisement for repentance, bending the knees of your heart. Learn to submit, laying aside the arrogance and proud stubbornness of your tongues. For it is better for you to be small in Christ's flock and to be found having reckoned than having an abundance of honor to be cast out of his hope. For thus says the all-virtuous wisdom, Behold, I will pour out to you from me a saying of breath, and I will teach you my word. Because I called, and you obeyed not, and I held out words, and you heeded them not. But you made my counsels of no effect, and to my reproofs you were disobedient. Therefore I will also laugh at your destruction, and I will rejoice when ruin comes to you. And whenever a noise suddenly overtakes you, and catastrophe like a whirlwind will come, and when pressure and confusion come upon you. For it is when you will call upon me, but I will not answer you. Evil men will seek me, and they will not find. For they hated wisdom, and the fear of the Lord they did not choose. Nor did they desire to give heed to my counsels, but they mocked my reproofs. Therefore they shall eat the fruits of their own way, and of their own godlessness they will be filled. For because they wronged infants they will be slain, and inquisition will destroy the ungodly. But he who listens to me will dwell on hope, having been made firm, and they will be quiet, unafraid from all evil. The seditionists, the headstrong and arrogant, are instructed to submit themselves to the properly ordained presbyters. This includes, but is not limited to, giving up the positions that they have usurped. They must submit to them in all things, as those who have to give an account for them on the last day. Hebrews 13.17 as Jesus continually told the apostles when they argued over who was the greatest. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, 3 and 4. The Roman presbyters echo our Savior's words and strengthens them with Solomon's words from Proverbs 1, verses 23 through 33. Now we move into chapter 58, where they start talking not just to the headstrong and arrogant, but to all, the Corinthians and the Romans themselves. Therefore, let us be obedient to his all-holy and glorious name, fleeing the threatenings that have been said before through the wisdom of those who did not believe, so that we might dwell safely, believing on the most holy name of his majesty. Receive our counsel, and you will have no occasion for regret. For the living God and the living Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are the faith and hope of the elect, because the ordinances and commandments given by God were done in humility, with earnest gentleness, thus be enrolled and have a name with the number of the saved through Jesus Christ, through whom is to him the glory forever and ever. Amen. Being obedient to God, we must flee the threatenings that come from unbelievers who spout off their own wisdom. We faithfully flee to the refuge of God's goodness and mercy so that we may dwell in his safety. 
Psalm 23, 6. By following faith, we have no regret. God always keeps His promises. We know that we stand in His presence as His beloved children because He has called each of us by name in our baptism. Because of this baptism into Christ's death, all the ordinances and commandments given by God were done in Christ's humility and earnest gentleness so that He might enroll us in His family and give us His name to proclaim. Now we move into chapter 59. But if some should be disobedient to those things spoken by him through us, let them understand that they entangle themselves in no small sin and danger. But we are innocent from their sins, and with urgency we make entreaty and supplication, so that the demiurge of all things might guard carefully the number by which his elect in the whole world are numbered through the love of his Son Jesus Christ, through whom he called us out of darkness into light, from agnosticism into the knowledge of His glorious name. Give us, O Lord, hope upon Your name, the primal source of everything. Open the eyes of our hearts to know You, who alone are most high in the heights, holy in the holies giving rest. Laying low the insolence of the proud, dissolving the reasoning of the nations, exalting the lowly and laying low the lofty. He makes poor and makes rich. He kills and makes alive. He alone is the benefactor of spirits and the God of all flesh. He looks into the abysses. He scans the works of men. He helps the entangled. He is the savior of the despairing, the creator and overseer of every spirit. He multiplies the nations on earth and from all men calls out those who love you through Jesus Christ, your beloved son, through whom you instruct us, sanctified us, and honored us. Let us glorify you, O Master, to be our help and succor. Save those in our tribulation, have mercy on the humble, raise those who have fallen, appear to the bound, cure the infirmed, bring back your wandering people, feed the hungry, release our prisoners, raise up the weak, speak to the faint-hearted. Let every nation know you, that you are the only God, and Jesus Christ your Son, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. The headstrong and arrogant might not take the Roman presbyter's words to heart. They may not find themselves convicted of their sins. But the presbyters have warned them. Their blood is on their own heads now, Ezekiel 33.5. The Roman presbyters and even the proper Corinthian presbyters are innocent of their blood. The headstrong and arrogant have forgotten that they have been called out of darkness into God's light. Acts 26.18, Colossians 1.12-14, and 1 Peter 2.9. They have been called from agnosticism, the swirling whirlpool of spiritual doubt, into the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. The bulk of this chapter is a prayer for God to open the eyes, ears, hearts, and souls of the headstrong and arrogant, so that they might receive forgiveness. They call upon the words of the Magnificat to remind the erring party of the great blessings there are when we follow God's will. Now we move into chapter 60. For you, the eternal fabric of the world is being manifested through your works. You, Lord, created the earth. You are faithful in all generations. You are righteous in judgments. You are marvelous in strength and excellence. You are wise in creating and prudent in establishing what you have made, which is good in the visible things and faithful with those who trust in you, merciful and compassionate, forgive us our lawlessness and shortcomings. Do not consider all your servants and your children's sins, 
but cleanse us with a true cleansing and guide our crossing over in holiness of heart to go and to do good and be well-pleasing before you and before our rulers. Now, Master, make yourself visible in peace for our good, so that we might be covered with your holy hand, and that your uplifted arm deliver us from all sins and cover us from our unrighteous hatred. Give concord and peace to us and to all who dwell in the land, just as you gave to our fathers who likewise called upon you in faith and truth, being obedient to your almighty and glorious name, and also to our rulers on the earth. This prayer to God begins with the eternal fabric of the world being manifested through the creation of the universe as well as human beings. Humans are frail and often fall into sin, but God is merciful and compassionate to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1.9. The request is then made that God fulfill the promise in the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. Number 6, 24-26. The prayers continue as we move into chapter 61. You, Master, gave the authority of their kingdom through your magnificent and unspeakable dominion so that we may know the glory and honor you have given them. May we submit ourselves to them, not resisting your will. Lord, give them health, peace, concord, and stability so that they might administer the authority you have given them blamelessly. For you, O Master of heaven, eternal King, give to the sons of men glory and honor and authority over all things on the land. Lord, direct their counsel according to what is good and acceptable before you, so that they may administer the authority you gave them in peace and godly gentleness, so that we may obtain your favor. You who alone are able to do these things and more exceedingly good things for us, let us confess to you through our high priest and the guardian of our souls, Jesus Christ, through whom be your glory and majesty both now and to all generations and forever and ever. Amen. The Roman Presbyter's prayer continues with petitions for the government. As Christians, we are called to pray for all people, and especially for those who govern us. The petitions are to be made that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. 1 Timothy 2.2 for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, Romans 13.1. In our subjection to their authority, our prayers ascend so that they may administer their authority blamelessly. We pray these petitions because God is the only one who is able to do this for us. Because of God's care for us in our high priest and the guardian of our souls, Jesus Christ, we give him the glory and majesty both now and forever, teaching these things to the coming generations. Psalm 22, verses 30 and 31. Moving from the prayers, we go into chapter 62, that then starts to close down the epistle as we get to these last four chapters. Concerning those things pertaining to our religious worship and to what is profitable for a virtuous life, for the godly will and righteousness to guide, we have written fully to you, men and brothers. For concerning faith, repentance, genuine love, temperance, self-control, and patience, we have handled every argument that you should please Almighty God in truth and patience with holiness, forsaking malice and pursuing love and peace, being instant in gentleness, just as also our fathers who have been mentioned before pleased him, being humble-minded toward God our Father and Creator and toward all men. And these things we have reminded you in such gladness since we knew that we were writing to faithful and well-attested men who have diligently searched the words of God's teachings. 
Instructions and teachings on religious worship and a virtuous life have been presented previously in this epistle. In the practice of the listed virtues, God is truly pleased with the humble gentleness practiced by his children at all times. The Roman presbyters write out of Christian love with the hope that God's word will reign in the Corinthians' heart. Moving on into chapter 63. Therefore, it is right to give heed to so great and so many examples to submit the neck and occupying this place of obedience to take our place alongside the leaders of our souls so that ceasing the foolish dissension, we may attain the goal that lies ahead of us in truth without every fault. For you will give us rejoicing and gladness if you become obedient to our writings through the Holy Spirit and root out the unrighteous anger of your jealousy according to the entreaty which we have made concerning peace and concord in this epistle. And we have sent men who have been faithful and prudent from their youth, having walked blamelessly in them until old age. These also will be witnesses between you and us. And this we have done, so that you might know that we have had and still have every care that you might speedily be at peace. The Corinthians are exhorted to look upon all the examples given throughout the epistle with humility. In this humble-minded understanding, they are exhorted to submit to the presbyters who had been appointed over them. The headstrong and arrogant were to cease the foolish dissension that, so that the congregation might live in peace. The witnesses that brought this epistle from Rome to Corinth give us one final moment to reflect on the time of this epistle's writing. Those who accompanied the epistle are those who have been faithful and prudent from their youth. They have also walked blamelessly in them until old age. With these pieces of information, the date of around 90 AD makes great sense. These Christians have been faithful Christians for many years. For those who seek to put a date as early as the time of Paul, 60 AD is given by some, this chapter provides problems with their dating. None of the apostles established the congregation in Rome. It was, by all accounts in Scripture, established in 30 AD after those who had come to Jerusalem from Rome for Pentecost had returned home, Acts 2.10. They took the new teaching that they had learned from St. Peter and the other apostles and began teaching the scriptures in this new gospel light. It is difficult to think of the youth and the old age of the witnesses from Rome having only been Christians for 30 years. However, this date could also be accepted because the expected lifespan was shorter than it is now. Moving into chapter 64 and the benedictions coming along. Finally, may the all-seeing God and Master of the spirits and Lord of all flesh, who chose us through the Lord Jesus Christ to be a peculiar people, give to every soul called after his excellent and holy name faith, fear, peace, patience, long-suffering, purity, self-control, temperance, and to those things which are well-pleasing to his name through our High Priest and Guardian Jesus Christ. To him be glory and majesty, might and honor, both now and to all the ages of ages. Amen. In this closing blessing, the Roman presbyters ask God to deliver the great virtues of the Christian faith to the Corinthian congregation. This is very similar to the end of the Pauline epistles. But the Roman presbyters were not quite done. Chapter 65. Those who had been sent by us, Claudius Ephobus and Valerius Bito and Fortunatus, send them back to us speedily in peace with joy 
so that they may report the peace and concord for which we pray and earnestly desire, so that we may also speedily rejoice concerning your good order. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and with everyone everywhere who have been called by God through him, through whom be glory, honor, and majesty, eternal dominion from ages past and forever. Amen. An epistle of the Romans to the Corinthians. The names we have of the witnesses here are those who have not had much recorded of them. They are only mentioned in this epistle from Rome to Corinth. So I thank you for this journey through the Apostolic Fathers, especially as we sum up First Clement this month. It is a long epistle that has lots of issues to sort out because the Corinthian church has always had lots of issues to sort out. Next month, we'll start our look at the epistle of Barnabas, as now we have yet another epistle where we're not sure exactly when the timing of it is. Some want to put it back as early as 60 AD, like 1 Clement. Others want to put it as late as 120 in the time of like the Shepherd of Hermas and the epistles, you know, after the epistles of Ignatius. But I, for one, am, as I will talk about next month, one of those who believe an earlier date of, well, not even an earlier date, a middle date of roughly 90 to 95 AD, not necessarily written by Barnabas, but by his disciples who have written this as a testimony of his witness. But until next time, I encourage you to continue to listen to all of the podcast episodes, whether it's the Apostolic Fathers, the Common Ground, or the Confessional Corner, the Digging Deeper, even the Russell Extravaganzas and the Moments of Meditation. That all these things are given to you by me, humbly, to help you wrestle with theology. Amen.